Yes, if you do not have a Bible, we have some people on the sides who would love to give you one. Just raise your hand. Like Aaliyah said, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. And guys, would you just stand with me for the reading of the word? Let's do this thing. We are reading Galatians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the church, churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ariel. You may be seated, everybody. And good morning. Welcome to Park Hill Church. My name is Evan and uh, my wife Sandy here in the front. Uh, She and I have the joy of leading this church alongside an amazing team. Uh, Last week we started a new series in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we're calling the series One New Family. Galatians, One New Family. So if you missed last week, please go back and listen. We set the table for the series we painted the backdrop and all that, and, and we explained why we believe God wants our church to live in Galatians for the first part of 2022. So last week, in a nutshell, uh, the church in Galatia, which was filled with both Jews and Gentiles, very different cultures, this church was starting to break apart. The family was starting to split up. Why? Because some well-meaning but mistaken Christian leaders were requiring Gentile Christians to become Jewish in order to belong. Uh, and, and they were like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is God for sure. Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And to fully belong in this family, all you need to do is admit that you need Jesus. Oh yeah, and become Jewish also. You gotta make sure you become Jewish, become like us, to belong with us. And, and, and so they're not seeing each other through the lens of the gospel. This is what Paul is trying to get at in this whole letter. You're not looking at each other with the right perspective. Uh, You're not seeing the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Spirit and going, oh my gosh, that changed everything and how I deal with people and how I relate to the world. Instead, they're seeing each other through uh, all kinds of lenses. Lenses they picked up from the world around them, from their tradition, from their families. And in this case, it's Jesus plus Jewishness in that culture. In our day and age, it's Jesus plus you fill in the blank. You gotta behave to belong. And so they're breaking up into these tribes and the two tribes at that time was on one side you had Gentiles should become Jewish camp and they had like got into like a camp around that and started to defend their positions. And, and others were in the, no, Gentiles can stay as they are, as Gentiles. They don't need to skip the bacon and get circumcised. They can just come to Jesus in faith. And the result, these two camps 
mass confusion in the church. And they're like, what happened to our relationships? We used to laugh together and talk and eat and drink together. And now we're suspicious of each other. And we feel threatened by differing opinions. I remember when we used to just disagree and be happy, but now we disagree and we're hurt. And we feel threatened and we assume the worst about each other. It never used to be like this. So just question, anyone can relate to this? Yeah, yeah. there's actual laughter. Yes, this is, in, this is very similar. History repeats itself, right? 2022 is all, all through this. The problem in the church then is a lot like the problem now. Instead of viewing one another through the lens of the kingdom, a lot of us are viewing one another through the lens of media or politics or you name it, and we feel the tension in so many of our relationships right now. Just story after story in our church, like, how do I talk to my parents? How do I talk to my friends? How do I talk to my... It's just so tense right now. And, and, and Paul, he sees this in Galatia, and he's angry about it. He actually calls this behavior. When it happens in the church between Christians, this is a different gospel at work, he says. And his father's heart is getting protective, and so he writes this letter. And today we're going to zoom in on, on the intro to the letter. Uh, last week we were at 30,000 feet talking about the background, but these nine verses now, um, in these, it's just sh- nine short verses, but listen, in, in these short verses, Paul gives us a gift. He offers us a perspective shift. He offers us this perspective shift, these lenses that we get to look through. And if we take it, <laughs> if you take this perspective shift, It has the potential to strengthen you through anxiety, elevate us above division, experience healing in our relationships, and release us into 2022 with genuine joy. Not just surfacey, I'm fine, but genuine joy. It sounds incredible, right? This is what we long for. In the opening lines of Galatians, Paul offers the perspective shift you long for. He invites us to see one another and all of life through the gospel with the widest possible lens. And we're going to get into it. Uh, Henry David Thoreau famously said, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. You know, Because we all can see the same problem, but depending on the perspective, we'll feel and experience it very differently. And Paul knows this. Paul knows that all our lives, we're a mixed bag. This, this room is a mixed bag. And, and other people are mixed bags. And that's precisely the problem, right? If, if only life worked out and people weren't so disagreeable all the time, if they just agreed with me all the time. And Paul knows that this is what we feel we want. But he also knows, listen, we get to choose the lens through which we see people. We get to choose the lens through which we see our own life. And so in this letter, he's handing us a lens. He's handing us a perspective. And this letter is about healing relationships in this new family. And he opens this letter in the best way by inviting us to see ourselves and other people through the lens of the gospel. Because he knows even, even when circumstances don't change and it still feels tense, our experience of them can grow 
uh, more into the image of Jesus. We can experience dramatic shift. So uh, as we walk through Paul's intro to this letter, I know that's kind of a teaser. We're going to get into the, the, the substance right now. And as we do, uh, whether you've been in the church for a while or maybe you're new to Jesus, like welcome to Park Hill. If, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, you're kind of checking out the whole religion thing, welcome. We're so honored that you're here. Uh, listen, this, this t- topic is an invitation for the whole spectrum. Uh, whether you've been in the church for 50 years or this is your first time, for your first five minutes in a church. Um, in a time of anxiety and division, today is an invitation to take honest stock of what lenses you have on and, and to invite the Holy Spirit to, to, uh, to swap out any lenses that don't belong and give us Jesus' perspective. So um, let's pray. Let's ask him to do that. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit to show us Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit. Give us your vision. We need to see like you see. When we're overwhelmed, lift us up to the rock that's higher than we are. Lift us up, we pray. Heal the brokenness in our hearts and in our homes so that we can then be healers in the world. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, here we go. Paul's intro to Galatians, verse one. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. Opening lines. Okay, so... Again, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard of Paul, right? Super famous Christian. He wrote about half the books in the New Testament. Like every branch of Christianity loves the guy. Catholic, uh, Orthodox, Protestant, like you name it. Every branch thinks this guy's amazing. Uh, Someone just prayed for, someone was walking by this morning during pre-gathering prayer, and this person walking by uh, was like, what are you guys doing? And uh, one of our serving teams like, hi, we're, we're praying Excuse me, we're praying in here, but uh, do you want to join? And she's like, she's like, I'm really, 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 really Catholic. That's what she said. <laughs> I'm like, That's a great answer. I love that. So every branch of Christianity has, has, has deep love for Paul. Um, famous good guy, which is crazy when you think of Paul's story. Uh, Paul's story might be the most famous transformation, like shift of perspective story in all of human history. And that might not even be an exaggeration at all. Like for sure in the West, this is the greatest story uh, that we know of transformation in human history. So when it comes to shifting our lenses, uh, Paul's kind of like the expert on this. So we should listen. Um, when he writes a letter, we should pay attention. So Paul's story in a nutshell, some of you could tell me this story, uh, but I'll just say it real quick. The very first Christians did not think he was a good guy. It's crazy, all, all Christians do now, None did then in the very beginning because before Paul was a Christian, he was a Jew and not just any Jew. He was this respected Jewish scholar with a passion to keep Israel pure and worship God properly. And so when the Jesus guys came along and started changing things, Paul, the passionate Jewish scholar, became Paul, the violent anti-Christian activist. Um, you guys remember the story from two weeks ago, January 2nd, Sunday. We talked about the first Christian martyr, first guy to die for Jesus. What was his name? Anybody remember? Stephen. Yeah. Well, guess who was participating in Stephen's execution? Paul. 
Paul was there overseeing and approving and clapping as it was happening, basically. Um, Check it out. Here's the story. It says, they covered their ears. They're angry at Stephen, yelling at the top of their voices. This is from Acts 7. They all rushed at him, Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. By the way, as we read these verses, Saul is the same guy as Paul. Saul's his Hebrew name, Paul's his Greek name. That's the only, he's a multicultural guy. He knows how to weave in and out of Greco-Roman and, and Hebrew culture. So he was Shaul in, in Israel, and he was Paul in, in the lingua franca in the Roman world. So same, same guy, two names. <clears throat> and Saul approved that they killed him. And in chapter 9, he's still going strong. It says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So, so Paul is, he, Saul Paul is this known anti-Christian activist. And the early church is like taking classes on how to avoid him. Like they're sharing reports of where, he's, where Paul is. It says this. They share reports on Paul's location and his acts of violence against Christians everywhere. But as he's hunting down Christians, something happens to Paul that shifts his lens uh, about everything. Not just himself or Israel, but about every ethnicity and every country and the the cosmos. Um, Watch this fascinating interaction from Acts 9. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, this is Paul, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So when Paul talks about this event later on in Acts, he says that he visibly sees the Messiah in this light, this supernatural light. But at the time, Paul didn't know who he was seeing. Look at verse four right here. It says, he fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And remember, Paul is a Bible scholar, passionate for God, loves the idea of heaven and angels and light, you know, that's very Jewish. He knows the Old scriptures inside, the Old Testament scriptures. He knows them inside and out, every image, pattern, and verse. So in this dramatic moment, you know what he's probably thinking? He's like, okay, oh my gosh, light from heaven, brighter than the sun. I'm, I'm on the ground hearing a voice. This is Exodus 19. Lightning from God's presence on Mount Sinai. And all the people are afraid. And, and, and this, this is Psalm 77 and Psalm 97 where it says, your lightning Yahweh lights up the world. Oh my gosh, this is Ezekiel and Daniel. This is their vision of heaven's personal authority. Heaven's authoritative being. This is what this is. And so based on everything I know about the scriptures, this is for sure someone carrying God's authority from heaven to earth, possibly Yahweh himself. For sure, but, oh my gosh, this person's saying I'm hurting them. And he's trying to put these pieces together. I'm hurting, this person says I'm hurting him. Uh, whoever this is, but how? Uh, he's, playing the, he's playing the detective right now in his mind and he's just all these patterns from the scriptures. Who's this heavenly being? Who's clearly power, powerful enough to destroy me, but he's not. Why isn't he destroying me? What is this mercy? What is happening? And in this moment, a Jew, like Paul, with his education and influence, he's like, who's this authority? How am I hurting him? Why am I still breathing right now? And so Paul asks, who are you, Lord? 
And a voice responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Perspective shift. Okay? And in this moment, Paul learns two things that repaint his world entirely. Number one, this authority from heaven is Jesus. And number two, instead of killing me, he's personally sending me. And these things are recasting his entire worldview and lens and how he sees people and how he sees himself and how he sees God. Can you feel the mental overhaul? Can you feel this? It's hard for us to feel this. His whole worldview built on God in the Old Testament revealing and it was, we are God's chosen family and those Christians are threatening our family. They're threatening the purity of this house. So out of righteous desire, Paul was killing Christians. Probably well-meaning. Thinking it was an act of worship. But when Paul encounters the risen Jesus, he realizes he's completely wrong. And he starts seeing everything through a new lens. I was wrong about Jesus. I was wrong about them out there. Those Christians who've experienced the presence of the Spirit, oh my God, I'm on the wrong side of everything. My righteous campaign for family purity is destroying God's family and hurting God. I am so sorry. And what is this mercy? Why am I still breathing in his presence? Perspective shift. And now Paul starts seeing others and God through this lens of the gospel. Jesus is the point of the whole thing, he's realizing. Jesus, the king of the world, he wants us to get rid of Jew versus Gentile. He wants us to get rid of male versus female. He wants to get rid of us versus them thinking. In this house, Jesus wants us to lay down our old lenses in the waters of baptism and let him raise us up into one new family under the authority of Jesus. And the thing that unites us is we do whatever he tells us. And so Saul, Paul, starts preaching this gospel. He starts sharing these lenses with whoever will put them on. And he's planting churches all over the world. And one of the first churches he helps plant is in a city called Antioch. Here's a visual. Here's a map. You guys like maps? Um, good job, Drew. Drew made this. Uh, so so this, is, this is fun. The Jesus movement started down in Jerusalem. And see the guy there by the Jerusalem church? His name's James. This isn't James, the brother of John. This isn't James, one of the 12 disciples. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who uh, took over leadership in the original mothership church that started in Jerusalem. Um, and that, that was predominantly Jewish. Remember that. The church James led was predominantly Jewish, if not entirely Jewish culture. Um, so Peter, you guys know Peter. He's not on the, he's not on, he doesn't have his picture up there. But disciple Peter, he goes up to Antioch in Acts 10 and 11, and he plants a church predominantly beginning with Gentiles. Totally different culture. Um, uh, and, and that church exploded with both Jews and Gentiles in a way that freaked out the first Christians. We talked about this last week. This was a new thing with tons of tension. 
Uh, it created a lot of tension, which required a lot of perspective shift for a lot of people. Uh, and so that's the Antioch church up there. And since it's exploding and growing, they needed help. So Barnabas over there recruits Paul from way over in the West and says, Paul, come help teach. You know your stuff and you've uh, really encountered Jesus. So come and teach this church how to follow Jesus because we're very diverse and you seem to know your stuff. And, and then in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit uh, tells Paul and Barnabas, you've done your job here, now go. Um, and they send Paul and Barnabas to start basically a missionary trip. You've heard of Paul's missionary journeys. He did a bunch of them. This was the first one. Here's, here's when Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas on a trip. Next slide, Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me, for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Pay close attention to the Holy Spirit's language there. Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work? No, for me. Set apart these men for me. They're mine. Uh, the, and why? So that I can send them to do the work I've called them to do. I've prepared them. Jesus is taking ownership over this, you guys. He's taking ownership over Paul and Barnabas, especially. He, Jesus is saying, Paul is my personal delegate. My personal emissary. My messenger with my authority. This is why we listen to Paul, by the way. This is why we open his letters and we're like, oh, this is Jesus' authority mediated through Paul. So when Paul speaks, he's putting his own authority on par with Jesus's. This is why we submit to Galatians and Romans and 1 Corinthians and all the New Testament. And so Jesus says, this is my guy, I'm sending him. And with that, Paul's off on the first missionary trip where he plants a church in Galatia. Which brings us to our letter, right? This is Paul. So that's the unexpected story of an anti-Christian activist who's sent by Jesus to plant churches of Christians. Um, it's beautiful. And this, this shift gave shape to how Paul views all of life. And you guys, this is the shift you're invited to experience today. This is, this is the, the lens change. Uh, because a lot of the church today is like a lot of the Galatian church. We are uh, losing sight of the gospel in many ways. Specifically in the way Paul's worried about. Instead of flourishing together as one new family through community and scripture and hospitality and prayer, we are so preoccupied with being right about things that are at best secondary issues. And, and when, we, when we were preparing this teaching this week, one of the team was like, Evan, you got to define what a secondary issue is. I'm like, oh, are we really getting in the weeds on Sunday? So, but, but we kind of have to, right? Because we all think our like pet preference or our little cause, which may be very important, we think that's primary when, we, when we're really passionate about it. So what's primary and what's secondary? Um, there are primary gospel issues, issues that flow out of the gospel, for all Christians everywhere, uh, that scriptures are plenty clear about. For example, uh, like publicly standing against racial injustice 
and protecting the unborn lives of those who are the youngest of our kind. These things, we can debate the best policies to accomplish how that happens, but as Jesus followers, we agree the scriptures clearly uphold the dignity and equal value of human life. Christianity uniquely lifts up the most vulnerable people and brings them to the center, regardless of ethnicity or length of time they've been living. And so, so we can disagree on the policies, and we do disagree on like what's the best way to like organize society to deal with those very important issues, but we, we agree in the dignity and equal value of human life, uh, and we therefore stand against racism and uphold the value of those who are the youngest of our kind. Um, but then there's plenty of secondary issues. I, I received an email recently where someone's like talking about different issues that uh, are hot topics today. And, and they said, support this organization, Evan. Help me support it because they stand for all these things. And I looked at the list. I'm like, man, some of these are way more clearly important than the others. <laughs> and I, so I can't just like endorse carte blanche, an organization, because they have all these tickets on them, these, these boxes. So there's plenty of secondary issues that the Bible is far less clear about. Am I right? Like masks, vaccines, or which form of government we think is the best. The Bible doesn't talk about those things, not explicitly. And so as heaven's citizens on earth, we see those things as secondary, non-gospel issues, or to use Old Testament language, uh, as... <laughs> As God's exiles in Babylon, which is what we are, as citizens of heaven on earth, we are exiles in Babylon. Our home is not America. Uh, we shouldn't be as passionate about Babylonian politics as, as heaven's exiles. So uh, they're secondary. They have importance because they touch on all of our lives, but they're secondary. Um, or at least we're supposed to see them as secondary. But as we all know, the last couple of years have shown us we have some room for, for improvement on that, right? Um, we're suspicious of each other's partisan opinions, and we assume the worst about one another because of these secondary issues. And so Paul writes this. To the churches in Galatia. You have slide uh, 12, I think. Yeah, there it is. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying, hey, you guys, this idea that those others over there have to believe and behave like you in order to belong in this family? That's actually a different gospel. It's not a gospel at all, and I'm shocked you're buying it. I'm shocked, disappointed that you're buying it. And then Paul uses even stronger language for those that are pushing this division. Verse eight, 
But if we, yeah, next slide. But, if, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Very strong. Paul's turning the tables on divisive Christians here. It's like, you're going to be divisive. You're going to start momentum that causes people to part ways instead of unite. Well, well then I'm going to use strong language for that. Uh, you be divided from God. Let, let you experience that curse. And then the Hebrew word, uh, or anathema, or Greek rather, anathema, which, which is a word for being cut off from the family. A helpful way to think about this curse. That's so mean, Paul. Are you saying that, you know, he's wishing people are damned to hell? No, not necessarily. A helpful way to think about this is he's saying you will experience the removal of the blessing of God's presence in your life. The idea is if you're going to remove the blessing of your presence from other people's lives, then God's going to remove the blessing of his presence from you. You're going to experience that. He prom God promises never to abandon his kids. 100%. God will never abandon you and leave you alone. But there are layers of blessing that come from his presence that we will never enjoy if we withhold our presence from others through unforgiveness. This is a curse. Remember, requiring others to think and act like us in order to belong in the new family of Jesus, Paul calls this the annihilation of the gospel itself. So Paul's calling all of us to hold up all of our life, hold up your work life, your marriage, your singleness, hold up all your relationships and, and, and view all of it through the gospel with the widest possible lens. This is the perspective shift. So, okay, what is the perspective? What is the lens? He, he puts it right at, the, right at the top. Here's the lens. Are you ready for this? Here's the gospel, widest possible lens, Galatians 1, 3, 4, and 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Question, question. According to verse four, why did Jesus die for your sins? Right, to rescue us from some system, to rescue us from the present evil age. Okay, question, follow-up. What is the present evil age that his death rescues us from? We have a diagram for this, all right? So, <laughs> next, next slide. So, I think, yes, so here we go. The present age. See these two circles, this is, this is the worldview of the ancient Jews. This is the worldview of Jesus. This is how they see time. This is how they see history. Uh, we see B.C. and A.D. Now it's C.E. and B.C.E. or whatever. Um, but they saw the present age and the age to come. The present age has fallen. started with Eden and sin. 
and 1 Corinthians 2, Colossians 1 talk about this. The present evil age is fallen. It's out of step with the creator and sin and Satan and death are, are full force. They're here. And, and we wait for God to step in and bring in the age to come. And, and the age to come is gonna be full healing where bodies are restored and there's no more disease and no more corrupt politicians and no more uh, broken relationships and, and no more mind reading, but we can communicate freely with each other and share in safety across God's new society. That is the age to come. But here's the thing. According to Jesus, who says the age to come has arrived, according to Jesus, can you do the next slide? So when Jesus arrived, the age to come broke in. All the promises of the age to come are now materializing. The blessings of God's presence. You can pray for someone, they can be healed. We saw that on January 2nd. Right here at our, at our Seek First Sunday, we asked for folks to come forward for like physical healing. Two men came forward with similar pain in their back. One of them, uh, we prayed for him. There was, there was not, not any improvement. And so we went in and prayed a second time and still not improvement. The other guy, we prayed once and he's like, I don't, I've, uh, I have bone spurs on my x-rays and they always hurt when I do this and now they don't. Um, immediately after praying. So, so then, you know, hey, go, go get another x-ray. Let us know if the bone spurs are gone or if just the removal of pain is gone because either, either one happens in the age to come um, in the meantime right now. So like God does this um, because the age to come is breaking in. But because the present age is still here, there's an overlap. See that overlap? Uh, we pray and nothing happens. So in, in that prayer meeting, we saw both the present age and age to come measurably at work. We prayed for one, there was nothing. We prayed for another, there was immediate response from God to our prayer. Um, so full restoration, healing, oppression is over. First coming of Christ brought in the age to come. The second coming of Christ will end the present evil age. In the meantime, we're in this thing that I call the messy middle, right? The, the already not yet. The already not yet, you guys, this is our lens for seeing everything. I think there's one more slide, right? This is it, the now and not yet, where there's tension, there's both healing and sickness, there's both resurrection and death, and there's light and darkness. You guys, this is Jesus' worldview, okay? The present age is passing away right now. This is Jesus' worldview. This is the worldview of the New Testament. The present age is fading. It's fading. All corrupt governments are losing power and, and all diseases, all bitterness and betrayal, it's all passing away, but still present. The, but the present age, this evil age, the present is fading away right now. And the age to come has already begun breaking in through the person of Jesus and the power of the spirit and the people of God. Okay. So uh, yeah, you can take the slide down. If you're skeptical, this, you feel skeptical about this. That's understandable uh, because we're Westerners. Right? It can be hard to see the age to come arriving in our tiny slice of the global pie. Urban, western, and predominantly white, semi-affluent context. It can be hard to, to, to see that the age is coming, especially if we're paying more attention to social media and the news than we are the activity of God in the global church. 
And, and it's true that people identifying as religious are declining in urban American and kind of Anglo context for the most part in the West. Um, it, it's, it's true. It's true that, that religious identification is declining in the West. But here's the greater reality. The age to come is tangibly, measurably exploding in the majority world right now. In the next 40 years, Christianity is set to remain the world's largest belief system still, growing from 31% today, estimated to 32, a whole another percentage, despite all the growing of secularism and Islam. It's believed that by 2060, Christianity will still, is set to be still, um, the world's majority, the biggest belief system of the world's population by 2060. It's, and it's like wildfire in, wildfire in China right now. China is the world's most populated country. And if China keeps swinging toward Christianity as quickly as experts are, are seeing it, over 50% of the Chinese population will be following Jesus by 2060. Even today, the average Christian person is a 24-year-old brown woman living on a fraction of our income and serving her community in the full power of the Holy Spirit with her gifts and evangelistic joy. Church family, this is the perspective shift you're invited into. The lens through which we see one another and the world and God. Jesus died for your sins to rescue you from the present evil age that is fading. He died for your sins and he raised himself from the dead and us with him so that we will outlast, eternally outlast that fading evil age where corrupt politics, disease, and arrogance and getting frustrated about COVID and masks, that all is fading, which means your joy, your joy does not need to be dictated by whatever the latest news cycle is because Jesus died for you to rescue you from the evil age that is fading now as the age to come is exploding. Listen, church, do you want to know what the real conspiracy is? The real conspiracy is the present evil age. The real conspiracy is satanic, and it's designed to get you focused on global meta whatever narratives that you can virtually do nothing about and distract you from your primary calling to word and table, generous community and prayer. Don't live into the present evil age. For your own soul's sake, not just eternally, but today. Live into your rescue. The age to come is here and it's growing. The kingdom has come in Jesus and it's coming through us, the one new family full of the spirit. So eat and drink. Eat and drink with one another in community. Hospitality for those far from God. Turn your house into a hospitable space for those that are far from God. Remember the poor. Be generous toward your local church. This is the perspective shift we're invited to live into. So whether you've been a Christian most of your life or right now you're figuring out if you even buy it, the invitation is the same. To take on Jesus' lenses to see reality as it is, not just how Jesus sees it, but Jesus sees reality as it truly is. And take on his perspective. Listen, church family, I said this, something like this two weeks ago, let me say it again, from the bottom of my heart, you are not destined 
to just grind out the next 30, 40 years of nominal spirituality. And then you die and go to be with God or whatever. Struggling with the old sinful cycles, crippled by the same worries, limiting your spiritual potential, and distracting yourself with entertainment. If any of that resonates with you, if you're like, oh, that kind of, then listen, mediocrity is not your destiny. The age to come is coming. God wants to separate you for himself like he separated Paul and Barnabas so that he can send you into the fullness of his calling on your life. So just like Jesus introduced himself to Paul and invited him to shift, Jesus is inviting you to see Jesus as Lord of the world and shift accordingly. So as we come to the table, we're gonna worship, we're gonna pray, we're gonna sing, we're gonna eat and drink, and just acknowledge this room is full of all kinds of histories. Whatever your family history is, you bring it with you into this moment. And the present evil age is fading and the age to come is coming and God's making you part of his one new family. So what does this mean? What does it mean for you to live into the age to come? This will mean just some Just some ideas reorienting your entire world around Jesus, your career, your, what you view your influences for, your money, your relationships, your sex life, how you eat and drink, how you engage in media, how you consume media, and engage in politics, how you think and talk about other people. Bring all of it right now. Bring all of it under the authority and goodness of King Jesus. This one new family is designed to flourish together, and that's how it's going to happen. By the power of the Spirit, bring your history under the authority of King Jesus right now. What would that look like for you in any of those ways I just described? Some of you are, again, you're just realizing maybe I haven't been following Jesus ever in my life and it's time to start now. It's time to respond to the goodness of Jesus just like Paul and realize I've been wrong about a lot of things and that's the best news ever. Or maybe you are a Jesus follower and you've you've just found yourself stuck along the old boundaries and, and, and frustrated with tribalism and angry at different people for not thinking and acting and behaving like you, holding them at arm's distance and God's inviting you to shift. Whatever this looks like for you. Before we come to the table, we're going to have a time of prayer and song. We can pray for you, that God would reveal his love for you. This morning, during pre-gathering prayer, we just all united had the sense that uh, God wants to reintroduce himself to you as father. And along the way, heal a ton of father wounds. Paul calls God our father three times in this text we just read. He wants the family to know who we belong to. No matter if you had a great dad or a deadbeat dad, God's character as father is so infinitely greater that he's worth turning our attention away from all the rest into him. How can we align with him and allow him to reorganize all all of our perspectives.
So Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Those with very difficult family histories, you have a very, very compassionate heart right now for them. May you come to those who are wounded from fathers, whether it's a father they grew up with or a spiritual father that spoke a a word of discouragement. Would you, God, our Father, just begin to reorient our perspective around your character, your goodness. You never leave us. And from there, may we live together as your one new family, brothers and sisters under a good father. Yeah, so church, I'm, gonna be, I'm just gonna make a very concrete call. Um, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and you've never said yes to his kingdom in a definite way, the invitation today is that you would. I invite you to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus and to lay down all of your other lenses at his feet and invite him to put them all back together. His way. His way. You're done with your way. The last two years have taught a lot of humans that our way is not always the best. And right now, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to consider fully surrendering to the way of Jesus. Mind, body, soul, relationships, everything. Because all the other lenses are fading. It's the best news ever. He's good. He's good. So, so if, that, if that's you, I'm going to invite all of us to stand and then, and then just be praying. Be praying for those that God is speaking to right now that God is inviting to join his family. And, and if I'm speaking to you, then there, there are people who love you and, 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 and would love to pray for you and would love to, to hear those words from your lips. Just like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to step into his kingdom. Whatever that means, I'm down. So come forward during the song. And on the right and left, there will be folks ready to pray for you, ready to welcome you into the family. So come forward, feel free, we'll pray for you right now.